ASI Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, episode 139. This episode is based on the 10th commandment. It's entitled Functional Saviors. I'm your bumper, DJ Russ Show. Welcome. podcast new listeners old listeners how you doing it's good to be uh, in your earbuds on your stereo wherever I may find you here today thanks for listening thanks for downloading the podcast if you're new to the show let me tell you what's going on here I'm ending a series of shows I've been doing on the Ten Commandments the Old Testament law these ten steps, these ten things, these ten rules, if you will, that God put out there that none of us can seem to follow. But they are an interesting part of a really cool way of revealing the human condition. The website is asi247.org. If you want to send me an email, if you want to uh, be a follower on Twitter, if you want to be friends on Facebook, all that information is right there on the website, right? Social network, come on, let's hang out. I don't know. Uh, I have a private Twitter account. I'm kind of new to Twitter, so uh, I, I public, private, I have a private Twitter account. I, I don't know, I'm, I'm new to Twitter, all right? So anyway, uh, the website, you can go there. If you like the tunes that I, bumper music that I play, the bumper medley today is from Nicki Minaj and a band called Shinedown. Both songs are called Save Me, um, on the topic of functional saviors today. Anyway, you go to the website, you click on the music tab, you can download the music in its entirety instead of these uh, bumper snippets that I play. Some very eye-opening lyrics, especially there in that uh, the Shinedown song right there in the chorus. Um, someone save me if you will and take away all these pills and please just save me if you can from my blasphemy 
in this wasteland. A little bit of theology there, right? Something, if you're new to the show, something I try and do in this show is to get to some of the roots of where right behavior stems from. Not just behavior, but going to the heart of the issue, right? Underneath all of the psychology, yes, psychology is great, but if I could take a drill and drill down a little deeper underneath the psychology and get to the theology of where our hearts come flowing out of, right? This metaphor of the heart, this this blood pumping thing, right? The spiritual center that pumps from the inside outward and spills out our life, right? Our life is this overflowing, continually pouring out spiritual thing and that's part of the what I want you to realize doing this series of shows that we are very very spiritual beings we're not just wires in a box but we are spiritual beings being poured out all of the time the theology under the psychology I think this is critically important and it's not talked enough about because in the realm of psychology we don't want to talk about religion because that might offend some people and uh, I'm not afraid of offending people. I'm, I'm an equal opportunity offender, okay, of offended people, especially in the religious community and uh, in the psychological community as well, um, going to the heart of the issue. And I'm willing to talk about it, right? Like, don't just throw rocks at me from a distance. Let's talk about it. Let's have the courage to go to the roots of some of this stuff and and ask some qu like right here. Here you go. Here's another bumper. My Save me, if you will, right? Um, last show I talked about this uh, psychology, this right brain, left brain kind of psychology. been getting into uh, cognitive neuroscience at Berkeley University, listening to this guy, um, Rich Ivory, who's teaching this class, or Rich Ivy, something like that. Anyway, great, great teacher. Um, some great stuff in, in cognitive psychology. Um, some great leaps forward that they've learned, you know, things about the brain that we didn't know. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. But does it go deep enough? Like, that is the question. Is this all just uh, cognitive perspective capability, you know, or is there something deeper going on? Can we just learn more information and that's going to fix everything? Or what? what is the heart of the issue? And a lot of folks in the psychological community will look at the emotional side that we're driven by, right? The, like I talked about the, the fact that I'm, I do sales for a living and um, people in sales and people on Wall Street also will tell you that people make decisions mostly emotion, right? Most of our decision-making is based on emotion. So um, this is kind of this right brain type of motivation, right? I heard uh, Paul Bloom is another professor at Yale University, and he was talking about um, you know, these robots, you know, in science fiction where, you know, they wish they had emotion, you know, kind of like the, the old Tin Man in the Alice or 
The Wizard of Oz, not not Alice in Wonderland. That's a different different story. Anyway, the Tin Man, it, you know, he. Well, if I only had a, a heart, right? If I only had a heart. So you hear this in science fiction movies, like you know, Data in Star Trek, and you know, Alien. I thought that the robot cyborg, whatever he is, android in in the Alien film was was more believable. But you know, these kind of oh, I wish I had emotion. Well, the thing is about people and about the brain and about motivation is that if you didn't have this right brain, if you didn't have emotion, you wouldn't do anything. Like I'm sitting in front of my laptop computer, right, my notebook computer as I do this podcast, and it's just wires in a box, right? It is a bunch of uh, circuits and hard drive and things without someone using it, it just sits there. It doesn't do anything. And it's the same with this kind of Android, like if there was a droid, you know, I've my, my phone is a droid. I have an Android phone, right? It's my little personal um, kind of information rememberer because I don't remember things, right? It has all my phone numbers in it. It has my calendar in it. It's my Android. It serves me with information, but it doesn't, like, you know, I mean, they're trying to make thinking machines. One of the things about cognitive science and, and some of the cool genesis behind some of this is from the 80s when they were trying to build thinking machines. And so they would go to the you know the cognitive scientists and, and they would get together and they would start to really ask some of these questions on how to build thinking machines and starting to realize some of this right brain psychology that again, without emotion, why do we do anything? Why would we do it? So we are creatures that are driven by emotion, and then after the emotion, habit. And, you know, there's another thing I wanted to throw out from the psychological community that I think is, uh, like, there's a lot of labels that they want to slap on stuff. Like, if I could just cure it with a label, that's a cool functional savior. It's functional because it makes me feel good for a season, right? If you can stick a label on me, like, you have ADHD, Russ, and this is what I've some I've been diagnosed with a couple times. Um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, okay, let's slap that label on me. That sounds good. You can solve some things for a season. Give me some medication, whatever. Try and fix that. I, I'm not on medication anymore. Anyway, go Listen to some past shows if you want to hear more about that. Anyway, uh, so we have a bunch of these labels. And one of the labels that I've heard a lot of addicts being um, slapped on is this thing called Asperger's Syndrome, right? All these different mild forms. Well, you have a mild form of bipolar disorder. You have a mild form of OCD. You have a mild form of this. And, you know, come on. Can we really look at the, the roots of our behavior and stop with these little labels, right? Uh, one of them is Asperger's syndrome, okay? It, Asperger's is a mild form of autism. And I heard, uh, again, this professor at Yale talking about, you know, the different differences between men and women, right? Women have more connected tissue between both sides of their, their mind, right? Their brain. Um, women tend to remember things better than men. Men seem to be more focused on the task and, you know, we really will get in there and uh, go after it. Um, tunnel vision, right? 
and what this professor was saying that all men have a form of Ashburgers, really, because we we do. Um, autism is basically a um, real live autism is basically it's a developmental di disorder of the brain. It's a group of complex systems that are misfiring and it's called PDD, um, pervasive developmental disorders. A lot of people with autism and you usually see it in childhood are just have tunnel vision focus on one task at a time. They have a hard time communicating. They can't seem to unlock themselves from what they're doing from task to task or what captures their attention. So this Asperger's thing is kind of a way to say, oh, it's a mild form. Your addiction, you know, the fact that you have an addictive personality or whatever is a mild form of autism. Asperger's is, I mean, it's just this is thrown around way too much as a pop psychology way to deal with addicts. It's just not necessarily true, all right? And listen, autism is real. It hurts. It is tough to deal with. I know friends that have kids with autism. It's for real, all right? It's hard, man. It's hard having someone in your family who suffers with that um, to slap addicts with this kind of label. I don't think it's helpful. I mean, sure, then what, right? And listen, if there's anything I've learned in the study of the Tenth Commandment and in the study of psychology, it's that there is an underlying thing that says, if I can just paste a label on myself, then I don't have to take total responsibility for where I'm at. Alright? Yes, you may have Asperger's, the, the teeny tiny point something percent of you out there, but what are you going to do about it, Right? You're going to say that, well, well, I have a brain disorder, so I can't help myself. That's just not true. So my point is that the psychological community wants to throw all sorts of things out there that can be good, right? But my my question is, and, and if you're like me, I've been, you know, I was raised by therapists. My mom would take me to the therapist and the because I had a lot of behavior problems as a kid, I'll be honest with you. And then I went into my teen years, I got into drugs, I got, I was addicted to everything, okay. I've uh, been to jail a few times, right. So I'm not, right, I'm not unfamiliar with psychology. And how it can help, yeah, there is some help, but how deep does that help go? See, and there's things in the Bible that are we don't like, right? There's going to be definitive truth claims. And those truth claims really go to work to clear out some of that gray area. Like showing a flashlight underneath, you know, a cabinet or something. you got a bug problem and you shine the flashlight underneath there. That's what these truth claims are like. So what really is a functional savior? functional saviors alright this is why we get addicted to stuff this is the theology alright I'm gonna go to the theology under the psychology Martin Luther said that um, old, old church father the guy that started the Protestant Reformation the guy that got so sick of religion and religious people that he went to the Holy Scriptures that he put this the Bible together basically because 
religious people started tweaking it and twisting it. And that's what religious people do, right? They don't like what's in the Bible, so they start making up their own rules. And and uh, so it just became this big mess. So this guy, Martin Luther, gets fed up with it. And he says, all right, I'm going to go back to the prophets. I'm going to go back to you know the Gospels. We're going to find the most um, prevalent information. We're going to put this book together and uh, that... That is the Bible. It is a product of the Protestant Reformation. Um, Protestant meaning protest, by the way. <laughs> that, that word Protestant. What happens when we look at our lives and we go, how did I get here? Right? When things start to blow up so bad that we're going, what the heck, how did I end up at this place. I mean, this is the point where most people head into recovery. We head in to get help. Maybe I have a mental illness. Um, when we really start to look at where the direction and the course of our lives, I think that Martin Luther said, <laughs> to finish my first point, he said that if you can do the first two commandments, the rest of them are easy, right? Um, don't have any other gods before me. Don't create a, a god, a false god, with your own hands. Um, the Tenth Commandment, like each one of these commandments, each one of the tenth, Ten Commandments has its own intent and instruction. But those first two are very important. And this last commandment is like a bookend to all of them, right? Because it kind of comes around to the first commandment in the fact that God is a jealous God. We have a jealous God who loves us. Who, right, like, the, there's a book in the Bible called Hosea. Um, Hosea is a prophet who God is fed up with Israel, you know, his country, um, his people, and he's like, the, you know, they're, they're whores, okay? He wants them to worship him, and they're not. They're chasing after other gods and other idols, and we do the same thing. So God gives Hosea, this guy Hosea, a heart for a prostitute, right? Falls in love with her and she treats him bad, all right? Worse than the worst country song you can think of bad. And it's a picture of what we do to God. And the fact that God loves us is, is amazing, that God loves us like that and that God wants a relationship with us, that we're in this world and he wants us to connect with him. And part of the way that he gets to our heart is through pain. It's a quote by C.S. Lewis. God speaks to us and whispers to us in the pleasures of life, but he shouts at us in our pain trying to get our attention and what we do a lot of times when we're in pain is we look for a functional savior a short-term savior to save us from our functional hell like I talked about a few shows ago the last show I talked about the anatomy of a desire where this desire that springs forth from our hearts and what we do to solve that is we try and find something functional to save us from the situation that we're in at the current moment, right? Our lives are a continual pouring out, right? Day by day, there's a rhythm to life 
tomorrow's another day it's not like today right there's you don't arrive at some pinnacle point it's almost like that's sold to people in our culture that you're going to arrive at this pinnacle place and you're just going to be fixed right there's always things that happen there's always stuff that we're dealing with on a day-by-day basis we are presented with news and experiences every day and how we deal with that drives the course of our life like I used to end every show with this um, life is 20% the stuff that happens to you and 80% how you react to that 20% we receive news and we respond to that news in kind the Bible uses the words of worship throne rooms um, walking into the temple we have right saviors like that sex is like that if we're using it to save us from a certain situation and that's why we're addicted going to the computer spending time um, money work making it going out of our way to protect our little private life things I've done in the past protecting my little functional savior God keeping it in the dark for no one to see because I know it would being exposed it would be embarrassing it would hurt my wife my family but I would continue to sacrifice to this thing and it's not just sex right it's not just I mean food can be a functional savior the reason people are obese I mean the Bible in the book of Philippians I think it's chapter 3 Paul talks about the these guys whose their stomach is their God alcoholism we take a good thing food is a good thing we need it to survive sex is a good thing God made it in the book of songs of Solomon he says you know eat and drink your fill you lovers God's not approved when it comes to sex it was his idea and no it's not just for procreation okay the whole book of songs of Solomon there's nothing in there about making babies it's a very much about sexual pleasure connection and intimacy so we take a good thing we make it a God thing we take alcohol and we worship that we use it to save us from our situation we use it to numb our pain and it becomes we spend our money on it it becomes a God a functional savior to save me from my situation you know ritual becomes habit drugs you know something to numb us something that we need to get by we think we need it to get by it's our savior it's been we've ritualistically given our lives to it for so long on the flip side of food is exercise there's some folks who exercise so diligently so religiously you ever hear that term they do that religiously why a functional savior there's a reason they're doing it gambling or what the Bible would call casting lots okay casting lots is not a sin it is a sin if you're spending all your time on it you're, you don't have money to take your family out to take your wife on date nights you're going to the casino and spending money that you don't have for entertainment it's a functional savior you're getting little hits of excitement out of it and the reason they're functional is because they work for a little while they give us just enough to get by for that little while that's why sex is so scary when it becomes this porn addiction leads to darker porn addiction which leads to adultery down the road
it just gets darker because the same appetite for the same thing doesn't satisfy like it did last time. So the functional savior, right, the sin, tries to pull you down. There's a reason it's called sin. There's a reason these Ten Commandments are called sins if we break them. And covetousness is like looking at something someone else has and saying, I need that to save me from my situation. It can be this motivation in our hearts towards something unhealthy. And we love to look, you know, the, the recovery community, a lot of 12-step groups, not all, We'll look at alcoholism as a disease, for example. It's like a functional scapegoat. It's atonement. I'm going to atone for my sins, but I'm going to put it on that thing, right? I'm going to put it on alcoholism. If it wasn't for alcoholism, I wouldn't be addicted. If it wasn't for those girls who dress like that, I wouldn't be a sex addict. If it wasn't for the rated R movies, it wasn't for the culture, it's, it's out there. The problem's out there, and that's simply not true. Mark chapter 7, 14 through 20. Read it, okay? It is Jesus explaining what makes a man unclean, right? It's what comes out of us and not what come, goes in you. You take in what come, goes in you. We have an appetite for it. We eat it. We devour it. And then what comes out of us is what defiles a person. Jesus says, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, become evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All of these evils come from inside of a man and make him unclean, right? They come from inside outward. Getting rid of covetousness and smashing the idols, the things that God made that said were good, right? God says they're good. Not all of them, but some of them. God made alcohol. God made the wine that gladdens the heart, the Bible says. Yes, it had alcohol in it. That's why the Bible says don't be drunk with wine. When alcohol becomes a functional savior, it becomes alcoholism. Alcoholism is the sin. Drunkenness is the sin. Why is it sin? Because it wrecks and ruins our lives and the people who love us as lives. So I'm going to end the show here and I want you to think about that and maybe pray about that and ask God to reveal the functional saviors, the, the things that we place above him, the things that we covet. And if we get those things, then we'll be saved. Do we believe that? Do we feel that? Do we walk that out in our lives? Do the consequences in the news and the things that we hear and receive in life, do they have us reaching for a functional Savior? And listen, I want you to pray about this. Ask God to reveal this stuff to your heart. Ask, you know, ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for God to give you the Holy Spirit to help you see, to help take the blinders off. This is a spiritual, supernatural thing that happens, all right? I know people like to explain off religion as cognitive therapy, a way for you to solve the dissidence of your troubled mind or your troubled past or whatever. But really, no, there's something super, there's something that happens in the heart, in the motivation of a person when we receive Jesus, when we ask for 
God's redeeming, real Savior to come into our heart. God loves people. God loves the culture. God sends his son. God enters into his own story. He receives and understands our pain. God is missional. He loves us. He enters in and is right there with the people. Warts and all. Especially the ones with warts. Especially the ones with the sins that they're having troubles with. It's it's Jesus who is near to the jacked up people and has a lot of... He's near to the religious people too, but he is spending more time correcting them. They are more than likely the villains of the story. If you read the Gospels, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious elites are the villains of the story over and over again. And Jesus is entering in to help them realize the functional savior of religion and good works and them thinking that they have favor with God because they're the good people in quotes, right? Jesus loves us. He wants to draw near to us. Religion can be just as much of an addiction as a crackhead. And in the Bible, what Jesus is going to say is that the religious addiction can be even worse. Because everybody pats you on the back and calls you a winner. Jesus says in Matthew 15 um, that Isaiah was right about you. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. And then it goes on into the same news that's reported in Matthew 7. Jesus calls to the crowd and, and explains to him them what comes out of a man is what makes him defiled. So, listen, I don't want to be... Mr. Flashlight with the hot light burning up, right? I mean, truth can hurt, and I don't want to leave you like that. Because some of you are hurting. Some of you are carrying around wounds, and you have been for years. Some of you are carrying around wounds, and you're just looking for some shelter. Isn't that true? Some of you have deep scars and emotional wounds that you you carry around man and they hurt and you're slapping band-aids on them and they're not going away and you keep repeating the same rituals that aren't helping and they're making things worse and we're like uh, why do I do this and the truth is we're looking for some shelter when it hurts when life is crushing and we feel like we don't know where to run and we look for a little shelter and sometimes god provides that shelter and the book of jonah is one of my favorite books of the bible it's four chapters man read it you know it gets dumbed down in, in sunday school and kids ministry oh jonah's the guy that got eaten by the fish it's a it's kind of a dark story it doesn't end on a happy note jonah's mad and angry and pissed off and he just God provides him a little shelter right at the end of the book you read it for yourself so the book of Jonah ends more like a independent film than a big blockbuster film in that it doesn't solve all the dissidents we don't really know what happens after chapter 4 but there's a cool line that God's talking to Jonah like Jonah's a prophet like he hears audibly from God and God says to Jonah is it well with you to be angry? Like in this season of life, is it well with you to be angry? 
how do we react to some of the shelters that, that are given to us? And what do those shelters look like? A caring friend, a good counselor, people that you know, um, a journey you take. Maybe you go into the mountains on a hike and you commune with God, talk to God, communicate with God, but realize that those shelters can also grow into functional saviors, and that's when they, they die. They evaporate in the heat of life, and they can go to work to make things worse. I pray that you realize that Jesus is real. I pray that you realize that there is a creator of heaven and earth that came into his own story because he loves us. And he is the real Savior. And he is what will satisfy your restless heart long term. I'm not talking about religion. I know people have said that before. I've got emails. I've tried religion, Russ. It didn't work. I don't want you to try religion. Religion doesn't work. The religious people killed Jesus. As C.S. Lewis would say, mere Christianity or mere religion won't save you. Only Jesus can do that. The gospel is a news story reported Yes, I say that a lot because I want you to have that paradigm shift in your soul off of this hang-up on religion. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And can I tell you something? That is real. It's not just mere religious do's and don'ts. It's not some functional savior of things you ought to do. It is real connection with the creator of the universe I love you guys until next week I'll leave the show right here um, my email address is russ at asi247.org if you want to talk about it I love you guys I'm thinking about you guys I'm praying for you guys I'll leave the show right here I'm going to leave it with a, a bumper by the Rolling Stones until next week bye